You have to think about future you. You have to say, to protect that person, to protect that version of me, I need to be brave now and have this conversation. Welcome to Modern Life from Fidelity Investments, a new podcast that's here to help you live your best life. I'm your host, Jamila Souffrant. Young people today are getting married and having kids later than ever, giving couples more time to plan around the cost and care of children. At the same time, as the baby boomer generation grows older, more young people are finding themselves caring for their aging parents. How can you navigate these demands on money and time and yet still maintain family harmony? Here to help us answer this question are Julian and Kirsten Saunders. Years ago, Julian and Kirsten decided to change their lifestyle and embrace the financial independence retire early movement, also known as the FIRE movement. They now run a multimedia platform called Rich and Regular, where they teach and inspire others how to better their finances. We're going to talk to them today about what suggestions they might have for people who are caring for both the younger and older generations in their lives. Julian and Kirsten Saunders, welcome to Modern Life to talk all about family. Thank you for having us. We are so excited. This is one of our favorite topics. Yes. And listen, I know that you two have been together for a while, but we got to take it back for people who are just getting to know you. How did you first meet and get together? And how did money play a role in those early days? Oh, my goodness. So we (laughs) met the old-fashioned way. We met at the office. My work husband became my real husband, and money was a very early part of our conversation. So we were actually starting uh, the same job on the same team on the same day. And we started dating uh, a couple months after we started and decided to take a vacation together. And at that time, um, we decided to split the vacation, the cost of the vacation, 50-50. We were in travel, so it was pretty affordable. And um, When we got back from the vacation, Julian found out that I had put my half on my credit card and I had (laughs) no plans of like paying it off. I just wanted to continue the vacation. Like, you know, when you get back and you just want to like keep the party going. And so he, on the other hand, was frantically working to pay off what he had just spent. And he told me that if he had known about my spending and my credit card debt, then he would not have dated me. Yes, this was after spending nine days together. It wasn't my (laughs) proudest moment, and I regret it. But to answer your question, (laughs) it was helpful because it it forced us to have a conversation about money and relationships early. And we then later found out that a lot of people tend to avoid those conversations. Some people don't have those conversations until after marriage and maybe even after having a child, maybe when you're trying to get the house, right? And so we were really fortunate that I was such a jerk at that point to say what I said, and obviously I regret it, but it did force us to have that conversation, sort of reveal that bit of history about ourselves. So after this argument and this realization that you guys thought differently about money, what happened next? We broke up. (laughs) We broke up. (laughs) And then uh, got back together and 
to Julian's point, we both were incentivized to try and figure out like what's at the root of this. I wanted to know what could be so terrible about mm -hmm. debt that you would end a relationship with someone that you connected with. And he wanted to know like what is so terrible about debt <laughs> that he could yeah, end a relationship. Yeah, so why did I feel so seriously about it that I wasn't even willing to get to know someone that I was clearly attracted to and interested in building a life with. Yeah. And that's really when I started to look back at my childhood and some of the messages that I'd you know, been taught as a kid, good and bad, but all how all of those things in my environment sort of led me to this point where I felt so passionate about it yeah. to the point where I was willing to end a relationship. But you got back together. Yes. We did. <laughs> got, <laughs> got back together. <laughs> got back together. He yeah. was a very positive influence on me. I immediately started to get my financial life together. I moved out of my very expensive midtown apartment into a little tiny closet of an apartment by Atlanta standards. Stopped spending, stopped eating out, stopped buying clothes, cut the cable, did all the, you know, checklist of tactical things to get that debt down. And then three years later, we got engaged. And I moved in with him, and then we started saving up for the wedding, the honeymoon, paying down the mortgage. And so altogether, over about a five-year period, we paid off $200,000 in debt. So now take me to where you discover the financial independence retire early movement. A lot of it was really just part of our journey in terms of financial education. And I stumbled into this weird part of the internet where people were doing all these things and sharing way too much information about their personal lives. But I was a little obsessed about it, right? It just kind of made sense. And it really turned earning and managing money on its head. It was like, if you believe that by saving a little bit of money or investing a little bit of money, that that money will grow over time. Well, just imagine if you front loaded a lot of that. Imagine what your life could look like if you really just made some temporary sacrifices and really focused on investing in that early and maybe even middle part of your career. And what's your definition of the FIRE movement and financial independence? I, I think my poetic definition of financial independence and early retirement is the break-even point of life. It's the point where you feel like you've worked enough and now your money works for you. But I think the, the technical version is when you can live entirely off of passive income. And then the immediate changes that we made were just Again, continuing to focus on income and then learning to live off of one check and putting the rest in investments, whether it was real estate or uh, the stock market or 401ks. It was really just redirecting money instead of upgrading our lives. So it was at the time where we could have gotten a bigger house, we could have gotten a bigger car. We were talking about planning for our son. And instead, we just kind of focused that money into like investments. And then ultimately, you started Rich and Regular. Yes. So tell me about, one, the reason behind the name, and then why you started it and what you're doing today with it. When we would try to share this message of the broader fire movement to people, specifically people in our community, it just was not resonating at all. And I think a large part of that was because the stories or the characters that those stories were centered around were not relatable to the people that we were trying to communicate it with. And so we felt so passionately about it that we were like, well, then who can we share? And we realized that, that that needed to be us. The story needed to be, hey, look at this thing that we're doing and look at the results that we're getting. You might be able to benefit from this as well. And we just wanted to show them, no, you can be rich. You can be rich and regular. You don't have to be, yeah. you know, a, a celebrity or to do any of those things. And so that was part of how it all came about and why we decided to name uh, the platform that. 
And I know family is like the center of what you talk about. So, you know, sharing, growing and being parents, but then also you, Julian, sharing more about you taking care of your mom and like those conversations. I find that now we are in a generation for a lot of us where our parents are getting older and then we're having kids. We are squeezed in the middle (laughs) and it's called the sandwich generation. So I'd love for you to describe more of what that is and that responsibility of taking care of, you know, the younger uh, kids and then the older parents. It's meant to describe the tension or the the scenario where you're caretaking for two different generations that have very different needs. So you've got your child and depending on their age, they may be in a really dependent stage. And then you've got your senior parent where the infrastructure that is meant to take care of our elderly parents and our aging parents is kind of deteriorating. And so you're picking up the slack there. Meanwhile, you've got demands on your time from your employer and just your spouse or your partner or even your life goals. And so it's really just describing this idea, which is fairly new, that you're caretaking for two different generations. I could tell from watching my mom struggle over the years that she'd gone from, let's just be honest, being okay to being slightly less employable, to then getting sicker, to then like missing payments. And then after a while, I knew that this was going to be my problem to solve. And so I needed to figure out a way to solve for that, which was I need to earn more which is what motivated me to get into real estate. It wasn't just because I wanted to build wealth. It was, hey, if I get a rental property, I can hopefully uh, get some extra income. And worst case scenario, if that becomes a place where I can put my mom, then I've at least bought myself a little bit more time. So how was growing up and the conversation about money, around money with your mom? Was this something that you felt comfortable at all talking to her about? And how did you approach that conversation when the time came? As a child, the conversations I had about money were pretty basic. Go to school, get a good job, make some good money, and then try to do the right thing with it. Like there was there was no real sort of strategy or anything specific. And, you know, my mom didn't really earn enough to afford her to be able to invest to then be able to then pass on, let's say, lessons or anything like that. But obviously as I got older and I was earning more, um, and to your point, it was realizing that this tension existed, I realized that I needed to start confronting this conversation with her. Um, And, you know, I led sort of with education, right? This is what I've learned. Did you know? Did you know? And that didn't go over very well. It just led to a lot of tension and honestly, just some flat out arguments. We got into some really, really tough times, so. And how did you break through that to where you are with her now and how you are supporting her? But how did you get to that point? Yeah, so little by little little by little. And so in my mom's case, it actually started to click, I believe, after she lost her best friend. It was my godmother. And she passed away. And she was fighting through cancer. And her daughter is a doctor. And she would see this tension exist where her daughter was telling her what she needed to do. She went to school. She's a doctor trying to give her all of this advice to help, you know, as she's struggling with chemotherapy and all of these things. And she just wouldn't listen. And I'm not saying she lost her life because she didn't listen, but my mother watched this tension. And then she realized that the same was true for me. You sacrificed all this time, put me through school to get me to understand all of these things, to learn all these things. And here I am trying to pass on some of these lessons to you, but you're just not listening. And I also think just the combination of realizing that she was, you know, underemployed and she did not have much money to look forward to. She didn't have a choice but to confront that we or I was the only source of income for her going forward. And so all of those things combined really forced us to have the conversation. And luckily I had already started preparing for it in my mind. 
And then I helped her understand, this is why I've been doing all of these things. This is why, even though we make good money, we continue to live where we are. This is why I didn't buy the big house. And I know you would love for us to do all of these things, but I didn't do that for these reasons. So now let's talk about what we can do to sort of bridge the gap and start solving for some of these issues that we ex experiencing now, but that we know we're going to start experiencing, let's say, five to ten years from now. Modern Life aims to give you the life and money knowledge you need so you can live the life you want. As part of our mission, we're proud to work with Year Up, an organization leading the movement to close the opportunity divide by ensuring that young adults gain the skills to reach their potential through careers and higher education. During the Year Up program, students participate in hands-on technical training in fields like information technology, business operations, customer support, and software development, paired with professional skills like networking, negotiating, and public speaking. Fidelity works with Year Up hosting interns to provide hands-on work experience and the opportunity for full-time employment. As part of its work with Year Up, Fidelity has contributed a one-time grant to Year Up's efforts. In honor of Modern Life, Fidelity has also committed to matching 100% of listener contributions. I want to encourage the Modern Life community to join the movement by visiting donate.yearup.org slash modernlife to learn more about Year Up's mission and contribute to their work. And I'm curious, Kirsten, with like your family and your parents, are they more self-sufficient? Yeah, they are. They are. They've always been homeowners. They just built their dream house, you know, two years ago. They're planning to age in place. So now we're just worried about, you know, creating a life with them of memories now that they're not consumed with work all the time. I know that there are a lot of people listening and they're like, you know what? I know my mom or dad or grandma does not have it together. So how would they start to bring this up and have this conversation with their loved ones? I would say start small, maybe introduce a conversation that someone else is having. Ideally, it's someone that they may be able to relate to so that they can see themselves. But I also think starting small, and I mean really small, mm -hmm. <laughs> like not with trying to teach them, like start with listening, you know, like yeah. ask them questions. One of the questions Kirsten always asks whenever we're talking to like a parent or an elder, what's your first financial memory, right? Like what's, what's your first clear memory, memory that yeah. you have with money? Her mom said it was when she worked at her grandfather's store in a small town in Texas. And she was responsible for counting the change. And that was the first time she really remembered and could probably even remember the smell of coins. You know what I mean? And when you start there, they start talking. You just got to get them talking and sharing things about themselves. And you learn a lot about who they are um, in that process. And that's what typically unlocks your ability to provide them with some counsel. If you just try to teach someone something, anyone, anything, and you don't know anything about them, your likelihood of being able to be effective are pretty low. But the more you learn from your parents, you give them an opportunity to share their story, where they're from, why they thought the way that they did, what options were available, etc. Then you will have a little bit more appreciation of one, what they've been through, and two, what they might need to hear next from you. And I just also add like in terms of starting small to also start with the things that you already agree on. So one of the things that was very helpful was to make a list that started with this sentence. I think we all agree on this and it would be like a bullet. We can all agree that some people make more money than other people. Yes, great. We can all agree that people do get older and they need somewhere to live. 
Correct? Yes. And then we just keep going down the list and then you can go to each of those topics and say, now, where do we actually disagree? Is it the how? Is it the where? Is it the how much? How soon? Mm -hmm. And then you can have a very specific and targeted conversation about like where the conflict is and you can start to like dissolve it little by little. So you may have convinced someone that this is important, hopefully. And they're like, okay, but when do I have this conversation? And I want you to do a call to action on when they should <laughs> and why they should have a conversation sooner rather than later. I think we know what the answer is, right? Is to <laughs> do it sooner rather than later. What I found was helpful is to schedule it not too far in advance. I feel like a month is like a really good time because that gives people time to actually do the research. You'll run into situations where They've got to pull those, the paperwork together. They know they have it. They just don't know exactly where it is. And so whether it's bills, statements, maybe you've got to recover a password or they've got to recover a password. And it just gives everyone some time to just breathe a little bit and prepare for being transparent in a way that they likely haven't been able to do. So I would say if you're not going to do it today, that's fine, but schedule it. 30 days from now, right? Have that conversation. So schedule it 30 days out, like give yes. them a heads up so yes. they know that this is... Say, hey, I want to have this conversation with you. This is why, this is what's at stake. I've heard this podcast or read this book or whatever it is. And this is something that I really want to make sure that we tackle. But I know it's a lot right now. So we're going to schedule it for 30 days from now. And that'll give you some time to do your homework, to pull these specific types of paperwork together. I'm going to bring my stuff. Cousin Rhonda is going to bring her stuff. <laughs> and then we're all going to do it. And maybe we'll have some dinner afterwards. But, you know, you got to add a little surprise in there, something <laughs> to make it feel better. Because to your point, it's it's it's... It's a murky and uncomfortable situation. So I give people a little bit of a ramp up. You have to think about future you and say, to protect that person, to protect that version of me, I need to be brave now and have this conversation. But one thing you can do to kind of reduce the murkiness, to demurk the situation, <laughs> <laughs> is to start with your stuff. So one easy thing that you can do right now is to update your beneficiaries. Whatever your assets are, simply by updating your beneficiaries and then saying, hey, I updated my beneficiaries recently, you're on there. That might give people a chance to be like, okay, I see the benefit of this. Should something happen, here's how my affairs are gonna work out. You can be the example and the role model yeah. to kind of start the conversation, say it wasn't scary, it only took me a couple minutes. And what about, you know, particularly people of color? If you're expected to take care of your parents, like that's just a cultural thing you do. And if you're from communities that where that's expected, what's the implications there? Whew. It's a it's a huge question because I feel like people of color are at greater risk for burnout in terms of their finances and they don't factor that into the plan. They plan to work until they're 60 or 65, not recognizing that something could happen, you could get sick, someone else could get sick, and it cuts that, that timeline you know, maybe in half or at least cuts off the last little quarter of it. And if you look at even profession-wise, people of color tend to be in helper industries. And so they're working as nurses, as caretakers at work from nine to five. And then they come home and do it again from five to nine with their families. And so they just got it on both ends. If you're hitting those peak earning periods at the same time as being burnt out, you really lose out on the ability to even ever catch up. So you're always coming from behind. You're always kind of balancing all of these plates and eventually some of them drop, if not all of them drop. It's a very tender and risky subject to talk about, but it's something that we can plan for if we're upfront and have the conversation early. This is also where the sandwich generation intersects with the racial wealth gap. Let's just say for every 
one dollar the typical black family has white families have 10 i've seen up to 13 17 depending on the study or how they're slanting it and i'm not saying this you know form of judgment but these these are the facts and what happens is you're in your 30s you're in your 40s you're working because your parents now on average have significantly less than most of those families well the timeline for you to sort of step in and provide some support is going to come a lot quicker than you might have hoped, right? So here you are at the peak earning years of your career, right? You've got some big decisions to make. Maybe you were looking forward to actually being able to buy up and sort of give yourself a little bit of rest. And now all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait a second. Then you find out that your parents don't have enough and maybe, you know, they need you to start giving them a little bit of cash on the side, right? And that's sort of part of the the problem. And I think it's like a huge blind spot for a lot of us because we've been kicking the can down the road and ignoring it, hoping, and also just respecting, let's say, generational lines here. I don't want to, you know, get too uh, involved in my mom or my dad's finances. They're the elder here. And you didn't realize that, yeah, they've been pulling from their retirement just to get by. And now they don't have enough to do any of the things. And on top of that, you've got medical issues and so on. So uh, I think that's the big thing that that makes it, I think, unique, if you will, for people of color is because they don't have as much. Their parents certainly don't have as much. And it forces you to jump in and rescue much sooner than it would other families. Luckily, I don't have to support like my mom, but I know that the last thing I want my kids to have to do is depend or need like to to pay for anything for me. And so I'm so focused on leaving more, or at least like at the bare minimum, not leaving anything that they have to take care of. Yeah. How has it impacted how you look at your financial independence journey? Yeah, I think seeing my parents role model it for me has has changed a lot. It's helped me decide like, how do we plan for life after work? Are we building a home somewhere? And how do we make that home accessible should one of us need a wheelchair or need to recover from surgery? My dad battled cancer last year and it was great that he was in this new home because it didn't have any steps. It had a beautiful backyard, it's on the water and I really think it helped facilitate his healing. Everything worked out, but like, I think about that now all the time where it's like, you know, right now we live in a three-story townhouse and it's like, that's probably not gonna be sustainable forever. It's something that I think about all the time, especially now with, you know, the public health crisis, you just never know, so. Yeah. Well, Julian and Kirsten, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for joining us on Modern Life to talk about family and finances. Thank Thank you you for having us. Before we wrap up, I'm going to turn it over to Courtney Mays, a regional consultant and financial educator at Fidelity. She will give you some helpful tips for how you can support loved ones in your own family. Thanks so much, Jamila. As we get older, our relationship with our parents might change. We may find ourselves taking on more caregiving responsibilities, which can be overwhelming to say the least. We here at Fidelity have a few tips to help. First, create an open dialogue around money and use it as a way to help you understand your parents. They may be shy or hesitant at first, so start small. Talk about how much prescriptions are or how much gasoline costs. Ask them their opinions about money-related topics and talk about your own finances. The more you can understand your parents' values and normalize conversations around money, the easier it will be when you need to have those bigger talks. And remember, be patient. This can be a stressful transition for everyone involved. Second, get organized. 
Do they have a centralized place where all of their accounts are listed? Do they have health, life, or long-term care insurance? And do you know what it covers? What about a will, an estate plan, and advanced directives for medical issues? It's important to note that laws change, so checking in with an estate planning attorney to ensure that you're up to date may be helpful. Finally, remember to prioritize your financial, mental, and physical health. I know it's so much easier said than done, but try continuing to save for retirement, avoid depleting your emergency fund, and stay away from high interest debt. For more tips and resources for your money and beyond, head on over to the Modern Life website at fidelity.com forward slash modern life, and make sure to sign up for our newsletter for stories, tips, and resources delivered to your inbox every week. And that's our show this week. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show notes for the link to our website and to sign up for our newsletter. And make sure to hit that subscribe button to keep this show in your feed every week. Modern Life is hosted by Jamilo Sufra. Executive producers are Caitlin Durkin, Jake Horowitz, Josh Sr., and Evan Wolf Boxbum. We are produced by Noam Osman and Zoe Pressy. Modern Life is written by Elizabeth Leary, Ann Dowd, and Courtney Mays, and edited by Noam Osmond. Our contributing editors are Rita Flannery and Mindy Hines. Our post producer is Sydney Sharvat. Modern Life was recorded and filmed at the Bridge Studio in Brooklyn, New York. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as investment or tax advice. Views and opinions of the individuals noted are expressed as of the date of the recording and do not necessarily represent the views of Fidelity Investments. Any such views are subject to change at any time based on market or other conditions. Fidelity Investments disclaims any liability for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information in this podcast. Consult your tax or financial advisor for more information concerning your specific situation. Fidelity does not provide legal or tax advice and the information provided is general in nature and should not be considered legal or tax advice. Jamila Soufran is not employed by Fidelity Investments but does receive compensation for her services. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. The guest speakers are not employed by Fidelity, but may receive compensation from Fidelity for their services. The third-party trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Rich and Regular and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. Gear Up and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. This podcast is provided for your personal and non-commercial use and is the copyrighted work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. The trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Fidelity Brokerage Services Member, LLC, NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917. Copyright 2021, FMR LLC, all rights reserved.